The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Through a mix of solo and interview episodes, I want to showcase all the different ways the spirit world helps guide our daily lives, whether it's through intuition, signs, mediumship, channeling, the mystical, or the paranormal, our altruistic spirit guides and other members of our loving soul team are always there, ready, able, and willing to guide us. My guest today is Jessica Hadari. Jessica is the founder of the Spiritual Women Leaders Networking, Women of Color Wisdom Series, and the Feminine Frequency Global Festival, which spotlights the wisdom of thousands of women all over the world. Hello, Jessica. Thanks for being here today. Oh, Laura, thank you so much for having me. It's just a real pleasure to hear your voice. We were chit-chatting earlier, and I'm so glad that you have a podcast because I could listen to your voice all day. (laughs) Yep. You could listen to it for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's so great to connect with you. I was so fortunate to be one of the speakers for your Feminine Frequency Festival. And now here we are a few years later sitting on the podcast. Yes, I'm so delighted. Yeah, I remember you being part of that festival, which I think was the first. Mm -hmm. It's just been such a magical connection because so many women in my world I've just had such lovely things to say about you. And I just love how our circles have woven together. Yes, 100%. And I was automatically drawn to you too and your beautiful energy and your calming energy. And I can just feel the love that exudes from you. So being in your presence, it's very infectious. Thank you again for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know what they say, it takes one to know one. (laughs) So from one loving, open-hearted woman to another... Here we are, total love fest. Yes, here we are. But I think one thing that I, even though have connected with you, uh, with you hosting this huge festival and me being a part of it that way, we never really had the chance to ever sit down and talk about who Jessica is, what your story is, where you came from, and even where you are today, because it's just been a little bit since I lasted the festival with you. So maybe if you can share with the listener and myself a little bit more about who Jessica is. Well, thank you. Well, since you met me at the festival, which really was all about bringing women together from all over the world and really spotlighting the wisdom of many, many different kinds of healers, coaches, etc., but women who are doing healing work on the planet, it really was a convergence of bringing women together. And I guess if I were to tie that into my answer for you here. 
my story really starts back in my younger years and growing up and my mother running essentially women's circles out of our home in her world, it was through the church and it was women's prayer circles and Bible study circles. So a little bit different than what I do, but I grew up in a home where women came together in a supportive manner and sat and witnessed one another and supported one another and potentially one of the very healthy expressions of the church, if you will, in this day and age. So I was very grateful for that. In some ways, it makes so much sense that I grew up and essentially gathered women and I ran women's circles out of my home for many, many years. And then that became part of my business. As a business coach, also, there's always an element of bringing women together in small, intimate groups and sister minding and getting that group eye on anything that a woman is creating in her business. So feminine frequency is a big extension of what my mom was doing or the seeds that my mom planted in just witnessing healthy relationships between women. I'm also a mom. I have an adult son. He's 21 at this time. My 30s were all about allowing myself to become a more deeply feeling woman. That was my intention for that decade. Stepping from my Saturn return into my 30s, I'm like, I want to dedicate this decade to becoming a more deeply feeling woman. And then as I stepped into my 40s, I think I was like, I don't really know. What is this decade about? And I think there's some aspect of really owning and embodying the archetype of mother because I have been a mom pretty much my whole adult life. But there's like this deeper layer of really owning that, not only in relationship with my son, but also owning that in the work that I do, kind of the mama role that I hold, whether with clients or creating community or whatever. And so that brings you current to now, that that is the intention of my 40s is to just really deeply explore all of the different layers of the mother archetype the sacred mother, the holy mother, the community mama. So spiritual level and on this physical plane, what it is to really live as a mother. So yeah. Oh, well, I love it. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say that, but that's really what came through. It's very spirit guided. <laughs> that's great. So I want to go back and ask you about women circles and the importance of that community. Why do you think women benefit from being a part of a community versus solo practice? And is it still important to have that solo practice as well? Mm, That's so interesting. I was just saying earlier today that I'm a recovering lone wolf. Hmm. I think when I was two years old, my mom still has a story. You know, moms tell stories over and over again. And you're like, I've heard this a million times, mom. Yeah. So there's a story she tells over and over again. And one of the pieces of that is that I was two and I put my hands on my hips and I said, I do it myself. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so me. I'm such a pull myself up on my bootstraps. I will figure it out. Just let me do it because it'll go faster if I do it. I totally (laughs) relate with that mindset. And... There's a few different layers to how I've seen collaboration, especially for women in business, really come into play. I will also say, even though I'm the collaboration community queen, if you will, like that's Uh so my jam, 
I actually spend most of my time alone. Like I actually really loved the quietude that I got to experience during the pandemic in that I could just hunker down and be like a hermit in the woods, metaphorically. Mm -hmm. So I actually really love being alone, creating alone, calling in answers in rituals by myself while I'm taking a walk in nature. So alone time is something that I actually wish more women understood that they needed. Even in their partnerships, I think that we sometimes actually need more individuated space to really be in our energy and create what Mm -hmm. we came here to create. And that can be hard when you're a partner or a mother or both. Sure. That being said, there's a few different areas where I see collaboration and women coming together being so beneficial. So on a more emotional level, emotional, spiritual, I think there is a lot of power in just sister witness, whether that looks like being a part of a business mastermind or whether that just looks like having a few close women entrepreneurial friends that you just hop on to the phone with each of them like once a month or twice a month or whatever and just do like a walk and chat, like a little one-on-one sister mind that you have some people in your life that don't necessarily have to be coaches that you can bounce ideas off of, whether it's pricing or what do you think about this workshop title versus this workshop title. There are certain things that we just can't figure out alone. Mm -hmm. And it is nice to just have that feedback or even just be like, oh my gosh, I just hit a tangle in my business. Something didn't go as well as I wanted it to. Or I'm having a really tough time with this one client. It's nice to just have a space to be able to speak those things because you're holding space, you, the coach or the healer or the practitioner are holding space for other people. And so there has to be places in your life where other people are holding space for you. And the most natural, easiest, less expensive way to do that is just through having entrepreneurial sisters. So yeah, that place of sister witness is so important And then the other two places are on a practical level. I have watched many women in my community launch their books to the bestseller list. And you really can't do something like that, like a launch like that, that's really requires that your book or whatever it is, your course, your workshop, whatever, if there's a desire or a need for that to reach hundreds of people or thousands of people, unless you have a huge email list or a huge Facebook group that's very interactive or very active, Mm -hmm. you really need to link arms with other entrepreneurs. And I work with women, so you link arm with other sisters and build a supportive circle of cheerleaders, circle of power partners. Because when we cast all of our nets together, it's such a far greater, bigger net than we could ever cast just by ourselves. I've also watched women in my community, women that have very small email lists that really don't have a following. They've an emerging business. They might have like 80 people, like friends and family email list. And I've watched these women fill their workshops with over a hundred registrants. And they did that because they teamed up with each other and helped cross-pollinate, helped co-promote. So that's another really important piece that's not taught in a lot of business schools. I don't know. You hear about JV partnering, but I think there's something beyond any need for having any money be involved. Like a book launch, I think 
that it's very possible for a woman to just allow herself to be supported, especially when creating mm-hmm. a special project and to just get that book or that workshop or that whatever out into the world. The third piece is feedback. And it's the reason why big companies will invest thousands of dollars in focus groups and do market research and things like that. You don't need to invest thousands of dollars, but I think there's something very valuable when you're creating the description for your workshop or a social media post that's about to go out or an email where you're hoping to attract clients. I think it's really valuable to be able to put those outward facing parts of your messaging to get feedback, to put those in front of some other eyes to make sure that it resonates the way you think it resonates, because usually it doesn't. And so it can be really helpful to just dial in your landing page, your emails, your social posts before you put them out into the world and let other wise women, other sister entrepreneurs or brother entrepreneurs entrepreneurial siblings give you feedback I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's safe. This gave me goosebumps or, Oh, I got really confused when I read this part or, Oh, I felt overwhelmed because there's too many bulleted points or whatever. So hopefully that wasn't too long winded, but those were the three areas that first come to mind. Yeah, no, that was great. Nice and thorough. So I think this is a good opportunity here that if that really resonates with anybody and they are looking for this type of sisterhood, I will have links in the show notes. I think you've provided some where they can connect with you or your group or platform. Yeah, absolutely. The link was for a manifestation ritual or something delicious. But once you claim that and it's completely free, then you're in my world and you'll receive my invitations to my workshops and my groups and things like that. And of course, you can always DM me if you want to. I'm always really happy to connect in a non-pushy, non-salesy way. I just love hearing what women are creating. Great. Yes. I'll have that in the show notes there. Now, I want to rewind. You had talked about your mother was Christian and she had these circles at her house, like Bible studies. What was that process like for you to find your own spiritual path? Mm, Oh, that's so interesting. And in some ways I had my first, what I can now look back and see as taking on new codes, being imprinted with priestess codes. Mm. Starting when I was like 12 or 13, I had a couple of experiences that Ooh. at the time were like a little bit weird and scary, but also a little bit exciting for me, mm. but I didn't know how to metabolize them at the time. And it was tied to the ISIS lineage, but I didn't really know what to do with that information that mm. seemed to be coming through me. I think if I were to just speak very succinctly about that experience, I think that was when I really started to see the church in a different light. Got it. I started to see this whole other paradigm that I'd never been taught to see. And now I live in, but I think that was the first time where I really Mm. realized, oh, there's this whole other reality that is available. But I remember being very scared of it. Because of that, I ended up being woo curious. I remember getting a book from the library on ESP. <laughs> I really know what to look for. It's not like I was searching for goddess books or whatever. It was just whatever was in the name. I didn't even know if we could at that time. Right, exactly. <laughs> very Google simple internet. They weren't a thing. So it was like the local library, whatever they had. So yeah, ESP 
And I remember learning a little bit about the chakras and a little bit about yoga as if it was <laughs> this like very fringe culty thing. And then moving to New York City and actually becoming a yoga teacher, there's a wonderful woman, Marin Bach Antonsen, who's this prolific priestess. And I actually met her. I was 18. She was 25. And I think I met her right when she had just had her first priestess codes activation where she was like, well, I don't know what's going on. I experienced my first women's spirituality circles with her and became a yoga teacher. And then that was really my entry into women's work and actively seeking out like chakra workshops and traveling to other countries and being around women intentionally. That was my entrance. So it's interesting now, full circle, I just went to Marin's Mm. priestess retreat, Magdalena retreat in Mount Shasta. And so it's interesting after all these years, 25 years later, to still be in priestess sister space with her, feeling very grateful and so sweet too, having just been at that retreat to be amongst some women like me who've just been in this world for many, many years mm-hmm. and with women who are having their very first experiences as mm. well. And just so sweet to witness this next generation of little sisters. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned priestess activation codes. Is that how you say it? Yeah. And I don't even know <laughs> if this is the right or wrong way to say it. It's a little bit like... I think some of us, and I'm sure in some ways, every woman has in her own way. And some women, it might be through academia. Some women, it might be more spiritually Mm -hmm. oriented. But I think women who are on a somewhat spiritual path, I think it's common to either through dance or yoga or women's circle or reading a book I know a lot of women had a very profound experience when the red tent came out, right? So sometimes these books come along that just kind of open up. It doesn't have to be a big, I'm changed forever. Uh, Sometimes it's smaller, but it just, it's a little bit like I can't go back to thinking about things quite the same way anymore. And I think that the reality is most people have many of those small shifts. And I think that's probably how it was for me. For some people, it's bigger, like near-death experience. There's like a one thing that happened and then suddenly they're a psychic channel. It's like spiritual awakenings. Yes. So to receive new codes means a little bit like I now have information around how to move forward a little bit differently. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like I have the keys to the kingdom, if you will. Yeah. I'm sure that someone like Marin or Elaine Kalila would be able to describe so much more gracefully and in depth than I could. Because for me, these are my experiences, but I don't actually teach this stuff. Sure, sure. It's just what I've experienced. But I think yeah. for women that have actually had to articulate these things, I'm sure there's so much more to say. But I think that piece of just... I had this experience, whether it was big or Mm -hmm. small, and I now will think a little bit differently and maybe even move forward a little bit differently. That's probably a more grounded way to think about it. I love it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. But yes, an awakening. Okay. Very cool. So who or what do you think is sending these codes? It's interesting because I use the word goddess. I have had events that have the word goddess in them. I love exploring goddess archetypes. And I think many women around me 
really feel a, almost like in Christianity, there's like this dude in the sky. It's like this lady in the sky or the earth or whatever. As the layer of power connected to mythology and storytelling and archetypes, I absolutely resonate with anything goddess, spirit, universe. But I don't necessarily know that I believe that there's a lady in the sky or in the earth. I absolutely think that we can receive information from outside of ourselves. And so I guess some people might listen to that and be like, well, that's exactly what it is, Jessica, (laughs) or what she is, or what the great divine mother, father, or the whatever, Mm -hmm. the great spirit or the universe. That's what that is. Yeah. But I have never felt called to really define whatever that is, whether I'm receiving information almost from myself or a more expanded version Mm -hmm. of myself, or from the universe, or from a god, or from a goddess, or from spirit, to me doesn't matter too much. I find value, and I think humans Mm -hmm. find value in really being able to draw on something bigger than ourselves. But that could also be like your purpose. That's probably a good example. That's something bigger than ourselves. Even when we become mothers, we're operating with this bigger Mm -hmm. mission, enveloping what we're doing. So I think all of that is equally valid. Right. So I don't really know where that information comes from. Yeah, no, I think it's great. <laughs> but I know that I go to these priestess things and having these very profound experiences and I go into altered states of consciousness, but I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Sometimes not having the answer though is just as important because defining it almost diminishes it. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like personifying it or putting it in a way that we can understand it almost takes away from the vastness and the limitlessness of whatever it is. Mm. So I did a life between lives regression session Mm. and I shared it on my podcast actually. And the practitioner asked a question, I want to say about God. And my spirit guide, Jason, was speaking through me. And he said, I was in an altered state of consciousness. And these weren't my words. So I'm trying to remember from the recording. But it was something like, Calling God, God is too limiting. Even calling God source or divine Mm -hmm. is too limiting. There really is no words in our vocabulary to call whatever everything is. So not defining or not even knowing, I think is completely valid in explaining (laughs) whatever That is because whatever it is, is so limitless and so loving. That's so interesting. I love that you said that. Yeah, I think humans, we like to quantify things and be like, well, if it's bigger than this, then is like that what black matter is? I want to make God or spirit like a tangible thing. Well, then it's in the trees or it's in the whatever. And (laughs) maybe all of that is true. But yeah, I think we have a tendency to want to do that. Yeah. Then that led me to this next thought, which is so in the fall, a little less than a year ago, a dear, dear sister passed away. And I had this experience of really feeling her. 
this last year since her passing, there have been moments where I've really felt her presence and my experience of that, the story I make up about it, it is kind of a felt experience or belief or whatever, Mm -hmm. is that now she's freed up to do her real work. It's almost like she's no longer fettered by the physicality of, of course, her body, which was ill. But even if it hadn't been ill, the fact that we have to feed ourselves and manage our energy and sleep and pay rent and do the thing and fill the program. She no longer (laughs) has to do any of that. And so in that limitlessness or non-physicality, it's like now she can really touch with her magic. And I think there's something related to what we're talking about here. Yeah. Anyway, it's fun to talk about all this Juicy stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dive deep into the woo. I love it. Yeah. Gosh, that's such an interesting thought of she's actually able to do more now that she's passed. I think so many times the quote unquote survivors of those who have passed. Mm-hmm see it as an end, see it as, oh, they didn't even get to do this or they're missing out on this. And I love how you share that she is actually getting more done (laughs) from that side because she's not being hindered by anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I am curious, you mentioned that you're able to feel her. Was it just like a feeling like all of a sudden you're thinking about her and it just feels like her presence is there? What are some signs that she was leaving you? Yeah, that's so interesting because I've been around many women that have very clear clairvoyance. They're clairs, they have one or more or whatever. And I don't necessarily call myself clairvoyant, Uh but I feel like when I get hit or a download or an insight, it often is just a mix between a thought and almost like something I feel in my body, maybe. Very rarely I'll receive actual words. And so I think with her, it was just having these moments where Oftentimes when I was with women where I was like, oh, Tara's here. I could just feel her. But beyond that, I think there was a feeling of almost like a sense of her unfurling her wings Mm. in the way that she walked the earth as such a living prayer. She really came from a place of blessing. And so I could almost feel her blessing just like raining down. In some ways, it was a little bit godlike when we think of what it is to be interacted with by a deity or something. That's not necessarily what I thought in the moment. It's just like, oh, Tara, I've just felt blessed by her multiple times. The first time I had that experience specifically with someone who's passed, Mm -hmm. I used to be a hospice caretaker for five years at Zen Hospice in San Francisco. And I really love being in that space of sitting with people who are on their way out. People are very porous and open usually in those final days, final hours. But I had an experience once where we didn't call them patients. We call them residents. So one of the residents was on their way out and I think family had come. And so we left the room, closed the door and we're just in the hallway whispering. And I just felt It was similar to the experience I had with Tara. It's almost like feeling a bird fly through you. Like it was this sensation that almost knocked me on my heels. It was very gentle Mm. and it wasn't startling. 
But I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if they passed. Wow. Was that a soul going thing? And then right after that, like just had that experience. And then two moments later, I think the nurse that was in there opened the door and said, hey, you know, so-and-so has passed. Wow. These mysteries, <laughs> we'll never know the answers to, but I think it's worth making beauty even if it was all made up in my head, it's like working with archetypes or like the goddess archetypes just kind of brings it back. There's value in the metaphor. I think there's value in making beauty out of our experiences. My memory is that I felt that in my body and I felt Tara as well in a similar way where it felt like feathers or wings or something around me. Well, maybe you're not clairvoyant, but you're Claire, whatever physical sensation is. Whatever that is. <laughs> I don't Claire think there's a name. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to Claire Jessica. Claire Jessica. Yeah. We'll give it a name. Yeah. Someone's going to comment in or something and be like, it's called this. Well, great. Let me know. Yeah, let us know. I know. Okay. So I didn't know that you worked at hospice. I find that very interesting. Curious. Five years, that's a decent amount of time, I would say, being around individuals who are about to cross over and have crossed over. In talking to those who were able to talk, was there a running theme from them of regrets in life? Mm. Things that we that are not in hospice can implement mm. now to not have those similar regrets. And also what they were glad that they did in life. Sort of like a running theme. Right, 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 right. That's so interesting. Well, people, once they're at that hospice level, often aren't talking, but I heard what you said, if they could talk. Yeah. So oftentimes they were already silent. So I'm trying to remember, I'm like of the few that were able to fully carry a conversation. One thing that I will say, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'll just say these two things because I think they're interesting. Yeah, of course. As women, we tend to be the caretakers usually unpaid of our loved ones as they age. And so one thing is that the residents that had Alzheimer's or dementia, eventually, for the most part, I mean, really across the board, once they get to that hospice level, are like very sweet. They're like children. Mm. We would actually give them little stuffed animals because like children, to have something to snuggle and cuddle mm -hmm. and even talk to seemed very comforting. And that's a really common practice. So I just thought that's something that I learned that I wouldn't have otherwise known because my grandparents passed without, thank goodness, having dementia or Alzheimer's. But I know that there are probably women listening to this that maybe will have a dance with that with a loved one at some point. And I don't know, there's something comforting about knowing that even though it is probably pretty horrible and hard to watch someone you love really become a different person. I can only imagine. But on the other side of that, at least in the hospice care, they're just were so sweet, so sweet. So that's an interesting thing that has nothing to do with what you asked. No, thank you. Appreciate that. The other thing was actually, I mean, it had me think a lot about my deathbed regrets mm, for sure. Okay. I do recall that there were residents there that we've all fell in love with as the caretakers, but then would have adult children who were like, you know, she was kind of a bitch in real life. So it was really interesting. It was almost like not even the person who's passing regrets 
but the ripple effect Mm. of maybe not living as intentionally as they could have on the next generation. That was very interesting. Like, oh my gosh, a lot can go wrong in a whole unfolding of being a parent or Mm -hmm. being a child. So that was very interesting. I saw that multiple times, a disconnect in the families. That was very interesting. And then the final thing I want to say is, I'm not, I know I'm not answering your question, but maybe there are little seeds in this for folks. Yeah, There was a young man who's probably about my age now when he was passing. Oh, this young. was 10 years ago wow. that I was doing this work. Yeah. Young man, very active, hiking. Other people in my mm. social community knew him, vital, but he was dying. And his mother came from the East Coast and she talks with that East Coast Jewish, like, he's a good boy. You know, she's almost <laughs> like, like a cartoon character. <laughs> totally. like my grandma. She was so fantastic. She was this vivacious, dyed blonde hair woman in her maybe 70s. Mm -hmm. And she was reading while her son is in this hospice home. She's a chatty Kathy. He was lovely. She was lovely. But when he was sleeping, she would pull out of her purse her copy of Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) And that's what she was reading. And I just thought that was just I was like, you do you. You do you. That's amazing. (laughs) Finding joy in the most unimaginably horrible. Mm. I mean, that's just incredible. Mm -hmm. My deathbed regrets. I'd love to hear yours too. But my deathbed regrets would be... It's funny, I've had different clarities over the years. But probably something around really looking back and feeling worried that maybe I didn't laugh enough or love enough. And I don't think that could be true because I laugh a lot and I love hard. (laughs) But I would be regretful to look back and see that I got too caught up in the serious aspects of life or I got too caught up in stuff that really doesn't matter in the end. I can get very attached to the physical things. Yeah. Having the whatever, the things in life that you have. Yeah. And I think in the end, they probably don't matter. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, take them with me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for myself, I think the biggest thing that I don't want to regret, and I think the thing that... I have picked up on from doing readings for people as well is it's always about the relationships that people have had with people that the regret Mm. seems to be focused on. It's not about didn't have the nicest house or I didn't have the nicest car. It was always I could have treated you better or we could have said sorry or I'm sorry I was like this or sorry I wasn't around for that. Mm -hmm. It always comes down to the relationships with other people. And unfortunately, I feel like it takes those moments of, I want to use the word loss because I think Mm -hmm. people understand that, where maybe you've lost someone close to you, a person, an animal, whatever, to realize that those other material things don't matter. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when our last black lab passed away prior to him passing it was like oh he's peeing where he's not supposed to again but when he passed it was like i wish he was here to pee where he wasn't supposed to again and it's those things where you know you realize it takes those moments unfortunately because it's almost like it's not too late because they're still there but it's in a very different capacity when they're not physically there 
So sometimes it takes those moments to really realize what you appreciated and what you wish you would have appreciated and not spent the time and the energy on, like Mm. you said, with the things. We don't bring those with us. It's not the things that I'm going to remember about a person. If I lose something, I can always buy it again. If a person passes, then I only have the memories and signs that they leave and however else they communicate with us to go back on. So that's what I've picked up on as far as relationships and things when it comes to regrets. Mm, I so love that you said that when Tara died, the woman that I was referencing before, I felt such regret that she and I hadn't stayed in touch better during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, she lived here. I saw her regularly because she would come to my events and we would do whatever. We were in each other's worlds, even just as colleagues. And so when she moved, I just took it for granted, just assumed like, oh, we'll circle back sometime. And then when she passed, I felt such regret that I hadn't texted her more, just checked in, hopped on the phone, whatever. So I ended up after she passed, I reached out to all of the women that I knew that she also knew. Yeah. And just texted, hi, hello, whatever, just a little love note. And a lot of those women, we ended up hopping on the phone and reconnecting. And the next layer was all the women that maybe didn't know her, but Mm, that I mm -hmm. would have that same experience with if they passed, I would have that same regret. And so then there was this other layer of women and it ended up being like four months of just so many texts and voice memos and phone calls, but it didn't feel tiresome. It was just this beautiful web of connection with just so many women. And it ties into exactly what you were saying. It's just, there's no reason why I can't stay connected in these little ways, especially in this day and age where we do have Zoom and text and it's not like you have to sit down and write a handwritten letter, you know? Right. It was just like, no excuse. (laughs) So yeah, that relationship piece. What else do we have? Yeah. Well, what I've started doing too is as soon as I think about somebody like, oh, I've just, I don't know, a friend pops in my mind. I just shoot him a quick text thinking of you. That's it. Just to let them know. Because one, maybe intuitively, there's a reason why I'm thinking of them. But also because it's my opportunity to take advantage of that while I have the second, I have the thought, shoot them the text. And then that's it. You're connected. And like you said, with the technology we have these days, it's easy to do and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Yeah, I've started to do that. I love that you said that. I was having a walk in nature with a dear sister who lives very close to here, Susan Schloss. And she's in my world. So some people listening might recognize her name. Love to Susan. Yeah. <laughs> she's definitely one of the women where I was just like, I just need to stay connected to her. Yeah. So we actually go on actual walks together. Aww. And she was talking about a friend of hers who does this ritual of just sending like love and energy to her list of clients. So what I actually started to do was I would actually take their names and write them on a card and put them next to a candle and take a picture of it and send that to little things like that or like pulling a card, but having it be coordinated with their little name. I lit this just for you, or I drew this card just for you. That is a little time consuming because it's not just a copy paste text. It's literally their name, handwritten. It takes a little bit of time, but they're my clients. 
and I wouldn't be able to do what I do without them. So I've woven in these rituals of connection or I see you or I've been thinking about you. That's really sweet. It's a prayer or whatever. And that also, I think, was something that was touched by Tara's magic mm-hmm. and ties into what we're saying is because of that just two seasons of deep connection with so many women, it was just like, okay, how can I yeah. let this guide my life in my work as well? Think about that ripple effect that her passing had for you to take that initiative because how many of those women were like, oh, this is a good idea. I should do that too. Reach out to others and put a smile on so many people's faces. So such a ripple effect. I hope so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful to imagine that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I love that. Well, Jessica, this has been so fantastic. And you've already given a lot of really good information and advice. But to help wrap up our interview, I was wondering, what advice would the Jessica of today give the Jessica of her past? Mm. Oh gosh, that's such a good question. My mind is doing inside somersaults. <laughs> I feel like I've thought of this before, but for some reason in this moment, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh it would be, and it's very practical. I would have really appreciated if my past Jessica had been better at saving money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I think when you actually tell someone when they're a teenager or in their early 20s, because of course, older people did say, tuck it away. You're like, ah. I'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's practical. Is like, well, there's something of value in there. Oh my gosh, 100%. Because you still have to live on this earth. You still need money to live here. Totally. Totally. So that's probably a more practical and in a less physical of the earth. It would be, this is actually a big one. If I went back into my 20s, I would have really made a case for that Jessica around self-care and specifically taking naps because I didn't know back then how to manage my nervous system or how to calm my system. I didn't know then what it felt like to be running cortisol all the time. I was just a very like, I was a competitive athlete and I work three jobs and I just had this go, go, go energy. But my whole thirties were spent dancing with deep chronic illness that was catalyzed Mm. by adrenal fatigue. And I've watched so many women in the healing world dance with adrenal burnout. A huge, huge number of women dance with autoimmune chronic fatigue, which is often very linked together. And I think that a lot of us are in a relearning Mm. around how to create and how to be the super women that we are in a way that actually works with our feminine bodies and Mm. our endocrine systems, which are different than men's. Mm, I see. And I wish that I knew then what I know now about deep layers of self-care and energy management, because that decade of being sick was really not fun. It was also a really great teacher. I think illness can be a really great teacher. It's how I learned what I now know to deeply care for myself and rest and take naps in the middle of the day and whatever I need. But I wouldn't have given myself permission back then. Well, I think that that's great advice for anybody, no matter their age. But thank you for sharing that. And Jessica, I really want to thank you for your time, for sharing your story and your truth and all that you did with us today. I really appreciate you. So thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I know this is just such an amazing project and you are so highly loved and regarded in our shared communities. And yeah, what you're doing here is just really, really wonderful. And it's been so lovely to also just get to know you better and hear and see different facets in this conversation as well. So yay, more please in any way. (laughs) Definitely, definitely (laughs) more coming. (laughs) Thank you so much. Blessings. Thank you. And that was another episode of a guided life podcast. To connect with me via my socials or for links to my book titled Guided or my card deck called From Your Spirit Guides, please visit my Linktree site at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash guided west. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.